The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Move through blocks and fulfill your passion and purpose. This is Stop Stopping Yourself with your host, Vincent Jenna. Welcome, everyone. Yes, this is the Stop Stopping Yourself show, and I am your host, Vincent Jenna, coming to you live from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, not behind bars yet. Um, we are not in full lockdown, but we are voluntarily staying home. And um, I hope all of you are doing well out there. Um, and and also being responsible, responsible to yourself, responsible to others, because this is really a time for that. Um, and I'm so actually excited because uh, my guest today, we're going to be talking a little about that, but um, he absolutely contributes to the evolution and growth of people. Uh, I'm helping them along the way, kind of like uh, what we are all trying to do here, right? And so I'm going to be bringing on Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll in just one second, um, but just want to make sure you're all doing well out there. Uh, find different things that you can do to help. Go and listen to the Facebook Live video that I did Saturday evening. It's really important because it, it lays out the entire cure, the cure. That's right. I'm saying the cure for this. There are scientists and doctors working on the biological cure, but we know spiritually that we're capable of curing anything. And then definitely I had listed an absolute way to cure it. It basically is the reverse of what caused it. So go and listen to that. That's my Saturday. It's worth it. It really is. People are passing that around all over. Share that with everybody that you know. Also, do something inspirationally yourself. You know this. We have so much time now. Uh, record something. Record a favorite prayer that you have, a, a favorite quote, or maybe even a poem, and just put that on social media because that's where we're turning. And as long as we have the Internet running... Uh, that's a clue, clue, clue for everybody. I'm not getting into that right now, but as long as we have the internet up and running and at our disposal, let's use it to connect with everybody on a very uplifting, positive way. And speaking of an uplifting, positive way, let me just tell you this story. This gentleman that I'm having on today, I had the pleasure of meeting in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I don't know why I hadn't met him sooner. Um, uh, it definitely, there is a, a an underlying connection there with this gentleman. I was so impressed by his energy and spirit and his work. Right? He says that is um, his abilities began in childhood um, shortly after a farm accident. It took the life of his 15-year-old brother. How, how sad is that? Um, always in tragedy, there, there seems to be some gifts that can arise within a person. Um, and certainly uh, Dr. Jeff here allowed that to happen. Um, Stan had been, his brother, I guess his name is Stan, had been a powerful influence in his life. Um, and after his death, his influence continued. So at 16 years old, 
Dr. Jeff here sped along a narrow country lane and heard his brother say, you need to slow down. His voice, his voice just came across. He heard his voice warning him. He felt it, he hit the brakes, and of course around the corner, he met a pair of headlights. There were plenty of damage, but no injuries because he heard a voice he honored. Remember I keep telling people, honor your inner voice? That This is how this man's story starts way back when. And I'm gonna jump up because I'm gonna let him talk about that, but I'm gonna jump up to what he is doing now. He is now in, in the ER room, emergency rooms, and as they are feverishly working on patients or trying to revive them, bring them back to life, help them heal them, obviously, as we know, so many of them do pass. And Dr. Jeff gets to see their spirits, their souls leave their bodies. That is absolutely amazing. I want him to tell that story. So I want to welcome him right now. Uh, Dr. Jeff, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm sure there are so many things that you are doing yourself during this time. But thank you for joining me here today on the Stop Stopping Yourself show. Oh, thank you, Vincent. It's a thrill to be with you. Oh, I'm I'm so grateful for it. But I mean, you are you are yourself an incredible spirit, and I, and I I can't believe again those stories that we go through. What a horrible story that you went through in losing your brother. Can you just share a little bit more about that and your beginnings? My brother was 15 at the time, and he was working on a ranch at the other end of the county to earn money to buy himself a new pair of cowboy boots. And uh, I remember the day my mother's sister and brother-in-law and uh, mother came to our house. And uh, they lived not too far from us. And they never knocked. They just walked in. And But they had this horrible, sober look on their face when they came in the door. And uh, I was 11 at the time. They asked me, where's your mother? And I said, she's downstairs. And they just turned and went downstairs and closed the door behind them. And a few moments later, I heard this agonizing scream of my mother as she learned that her oldest son was had passed. And I thought that I had got gotten through that unscathed. I didn't think it had a major impact on me until 20 years later when my brother came to me. And he said, you have to go talk to our mother because there's things she's never told you about my death. And oh, wow. uh, you can... You can imagine I, uh, I was taken aback by that, and I, I went and I had a visit with my mother. She still lives in the same house. My parents are both still alive. My father was out of town. We had this quiet talk, her and I, and she told me that day something I'd never heard before. She said, before Stan died, I always knew where you were in the house because I could hear you singing. After Stan died, you stopped singing. And that was the first time I realized that my brother's death had had such a profound psychic impact on me, that it, it had marked me and made me different from the day he died on. And he still comes to me uh, occasionally. Okay, uh, and, but and, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but, but you're, you're leaving out an important part that I need to know. How did you know, number one, to listen to that voice? How did you trust that? I mean, here's your brother is deceased, and all of a sudden he tells you, go talk with mom. How did you know that was him and that you can trust that? 
Well, by that time, I recognized his voice most of the time, and uh, uh, sometimes I saw him, and on that occasion, I saw him. And so I knew who it was. But I'd been, I'd been having experiences for a couple of decades by then. As you mentioned the experience I had driving that car when I was 16 years old. Right. Um, a few years later, when I was 19, I went to a friend of mine who was a few years older who I trusted because she had experience more than I did. And I was using the only vocabulary that was available to me as a young person. And and without giving her any context at all for my question, I asked her one day, I said, does God ever speak to you in sentences? And she just gave me this very knowing look and she pointed her finger at me and she said, don't ever doubt that. That was all she said. So I had grown into trusting this voice because when I trusted the voice, things went well. I I had foreknowledge of things. I had insights into what to do and how to act. And and when I ignored the voice or acted contrary to it, I often found myself frustrated and discouraged. And so by the time my brother came to me that that day, 20 years after his death, I I was fully... uh, uh, accustomed to it and, and recognize what it was immediately. Well, th- it, what what's amazing, though, Jeff, is I'm, I'm looking everywhere on your website, and I see nothing about you claiming to be a medium. But that is all mediumship work there, seeing, hearing, talking. Um, uh, and it wasn't until your brother's death that you realized that that was the gift you had? Oh, I didn't realize it was a gift until uh, 30 years after he died. I didn't realize it was a gift, frankly, until after I stopped seeing patients in the emergency department. Uh, People, uh, as you know, I had a lot of experiences. Sometimes I would see souls leave their bodies at death, and they'd communicate with me before they left this realm. And their messages were always of light and love and gratitude. But I didn't ever think of it as a gift until after I stopped seeing patients, something clicked inside and and I felt like, oh, it's okay to share now. I hadn't spoken of these things for 25 years in the ER. None of my colleagues except one nurse knew about it. And when I started sharing it with people and I saw the way it helped them heal, people would come up to me and ask, say, when did this start? How did you get this gift? And up until then, I'd never contemplated it, and I started look, reviewing my life and looking back and putting things together, and then I finally realized, oh, everybody doesn't have these experiences. <laughs> uh, no, right. This is when oh, it my start- goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is when it started for me, and, I, uh, and then I started to, to honor it more fully, and, and I started to realize, oh, it's not just for me. These experiences How- are to help other people. How innocent and perfect, I have to admit, though. Um, Here you are, a kid. Your brother dies. You hear his voice. And and you're not even going to anybody questioning that, freaking out, going, oh, my gosh, um, am I going crazy here? You just accepted it naturally. It seems like this was a natural path for you, Jeff. How do you think think about that? What do you think about that? I think it was. I think it was a path for me. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it for a long time, but it was a path for me. Um, On on one occasion, it's been uh, 23 years ago, 
um, almost exactly 23 years ago, a gentleman crashed his car in central Utah. Uh, it rolled, he, he, lost, he fell asleep and lost control, and it rolled down the freeway at high speed and took the life of his wife and his 14-month-old son and nearly killed him. He was oh. badly injured. Uh, and he was ta- he was taken to a local hospital and then put on a plane and flown to the trauma center where I worked. And when I went in to see him, uh, he was unconscious on the gurney. A bunch of doctors and nurses were taking care of him, and standing above him in the air was his recently deceased wife, Tamara, observing his care and expressing her profound gratitude to me for everything that was happening to save his life. I didn't know for a month until I spoke with him again a month later when he was conscious and able to speak. He had actually left his body at the scene of the accident before his body was even extricated from the vehicle. He'd risen above the scene of the accident into this realm of light and glory and had an encounter with his deceased wife who said, you have to go back and raise our other son, which he did. Wow. His name's Jeff Olson, and he and I are good friends to this day. We we often speak together, and uh, um, so I had experiences like that in my ER life uh, for 20, 25 years. And for a long time, Jeff Olson, about 10 years after the fact, started to share his experience, and he tried to persuade me to share mine, and I, I refused to do so for another decade until I stopped seeing patients in the ER, and then it, somehow it felt right, and I started to share Wow. We have a lot of that in common, Jeff, because when I went through my spiritual awakening, I didn't want to really acknowledge it or, and I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing with it. Um, so so I understand that. I understand, you know, the, the fear that is in there. Uh, but that is amazing. And I, I, I do want to back up to to we jumped into you being a doctor. First of all, what drew you to want to be a doctor? Did you always want to be a doctor? Did that come after your brother died? What happened there? How did you get that interest? Oh, Vincent, it's a very inglorious story. It's very anticlimactic. Um, I was a junior in college, an, un- an undergrad student, and I had a roommate who was a doctor, and he'd know, or his dad was a doctor, and he'd known all his life he was going to be a doctor. I didn't know that. I I turned to him one day. We were walking across campus. I said, what are you going to do when you grow up? And he said, I'm going to be a doctor, just matter-of-factly. And I thought, ah, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll try that. (laughs) That was my decision. Wow. (laughs) I like science. I like science and math, and uh, I made a couple little adjustments in my uh, undergraduate uh, coursework. And uh, uh, 10 years later, I was finishing my medical training. But, uh, you know, you know that that had to be an unconscious, soul-driven type of inspiration because being in the ER is where you saw so much that you aren't you using all of your experiences from the ER in helping some people today? Absolutely. I have no – somebody asked me recently – uh, what I'm doing now, speaking, writing, uh, you know, I wrote a book and uh, I do one-on-ones, um, intuitive and spiritual mentoring for people to help them identify their own gifts and live in their own highest self, uh, their most authentic self. And somebody asked me, said, so do you re- regret being an ER doctor? I said, oh, no, it made me what I am today. I couldn't do what I'm doing if I hadn't have had those years and that experience. 
That is that, that I, I totally agree with that. Um, and and so here you are, you're working, and I, I'm you know I can only base my information based on movies that I've watched, and thank goodness I've never been rushed to an ER myself for any type of work. But here you are in the ER trying to focus and concentrate on the work you're doing, making this person live, and, and you're seeing these extra spirits. How did you just hold that together? I mean, how did you keep that from distracting your work? To be fair, I rarely had those profound spiritual experiences when it was my patient. I usually had those experiences when I walked in a room and some other doctor was consumed with taking care of the patient and my mind and heart were open and free to have the experience. So when Jeff Olson was flown to my ER, there was another doctor taking care of him, another team of people. I was not responsible for any of his medical care. If, I, if I'm running a trauma and I'm intubating somebody and putting in a chest tube and barking out orders and trying to figure out what's going on, I'm so wrapped up in the medical, in the science, in the physical, that I rarely have those profound spiritual experiences. Ah, that, that, that makes sense. It's like, um, it's like a switch that goes on and off when you need it, and certainly not to get, because that, that to me would seem very distracting because you do have to give your focus to your inner voice versus your outer voice. So I understand that. So then, did after, let's say after your procedures, did you ever have experiences where the patient has passed and then they came to you? Any any type of experiences like that, like after they had passed and you were then maybe in your office or maybe by yourself or maybe driving home, uh, do they let you know that they're okay? Like what's that afterward communication like? I'll give you one example. And this, again, this was somebody else's patient. They were being taken care of. I walked into the emergency department to start a shift. And as I was logging onto the computer, I became aware of a spiritual presence. Uh, It's like this vibration in the center of my being and it radiates outward until it fills every cell. And I've come to recognize what that was. And I, I knew that there was a spiritual presence there. And I had a sense of who this person was because I had just walked past the resuscitation room where this team of people were trying to resuscitate a woman uh, and they were literally doing chest compression. She was intubated and, and she came to me and she asked me for help. And I, I stopped what I was doing and I just walked around the corner into the room where the patient was being resuscitated. And I was in my clothes, ready to start a shift. Everybody knew me. So my presence in the room was totally inconspicuous. Nobody even looked up. And I just walked over where there was an empty spot on the gurney and I rested my hand on her leg because I've learned that touch is so important in these circumstances. Everybody kept doing what they were doing. And she asked me if she could leave. And my first thought was, why are you asking me? Uh, Who am I? But something came to me from this profound eternal place. And I understood. And, and I, I, silently communicated back with her, I said, listen, if you think it's time to go and you feel right about it, if you feel that's the right thing to do, I think it's probably okay for you to go. And people continued to give medications and do chest compressions and everything else they were doing. And I saw this woman rise up out of her body and stand in the air above the gurney. And she looked about half the age of the body she'd come out of. 
She was beautiful and full of light and glory, and she filled me with some of that glory. And then she thanked me for what I had done, and then she left. And as I turned and walked out of the room, nobody had even noticed me being in the room. I, I turned and walked out as I'm leaving the room. I hear the doctor in military time pronounce her time of death. And I thought, of course, I saw her leave. And wow. so, so the messages I get from people usually is, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Um, I'm going to a good place. Uh, always profound gratitude. Even if they don't survive, they're so grateful for the people that made an effort. But it's not always that clear. I, I remember walking into a room once. I just got to work. Uh, my colleague was trying to resuscitate a woman who had drowned in a hotel pool. And I walked into the room, and they were doing chest compressions and all that stuff. And she, this woman was out of her body, and she was just starting to catch her bearing. She was starting to orient to being out of her body. And just as I'm becoming aware of her presence and starting to experience her presence, she was gone. I thought, whoa, that's weird. Where did she go? And I looked up, and she had a heartbeat on the on the monitor again. She wasn't gone. She was just back in her body, and I couldn't perceive her anymore. Wow. Okay. So do you have to do anything? Do you have to get your mind in a certain place, your, your centering? What do you need to do yourself before those, those things were happening to you in the ER? Again, you're still in, 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 in hospital. So was there anything that you had to do to prepare yourself for this or did it just naturally happen? On most of these experiences, it just naturally happened and, and usually quite, to my surprise, I wasn't expecting it. And for many years, I thought I had no control over it. I since have learned that I can put myself in a, in, in a space spiritually. I can open my heart. I can breathe. I can, I can calm my mind. And then I can reach out and often have communications. Uh, and I, I actually have more control over it than I once thought I did. But back then, it was mostly spontaneous and, and frequently unexpected. And, and it wasn't always when somebody died either. I remember one time I went in to see this young man that had uh, crashed his motorcycle. And he was driving behind a car that stopped abruptly. And he turned his motorcycle sideways and laid it down on its side and kind of slid over to the side of the road and bumped into the curb. He was wearing full protective gear and a helmet. There was no loss of consciousness. He didn't think himself injured. But the EMTs dutifully strapped him to a, a board and put him in a collar and, and drug him to the emergency department, somewhat against his wishes. And I went in to see him, and everything seemed fine. There's, a, there's uh, some well-studied evidence-based criteria you follow to decide if somebody needs a head CT scan or an X-ray of their neck in these circumstances. And I went through those criteria, and he didn't meet any criteria to have any imaging studies done at all, and he wanted to get up and go home. And I was about to take his collar off and let him get up and leave. And I just had this feeling, I just had this knowing that he needed a head CT scan. And so I talked with him about it, and he was, he was good-natured. He kind of joked about, okay, Doc, go ahead and order the test I don't need. And uh, so I ordered the test. Normally, I'd get the results back in about 20 to 30 minutes, but about 
12 or 15 minutes later, the radiologist called me, which was unusual in and of itself. And he said, your patient has an epidural hematoma. That's an intracranial hemorrhage. He said, the blood is accumulating so fast, we can see it swirling on the CT scan. And uh, I went back to the patient's room and he was getting sleepy already. And because I worked in a level one trauma center, I just called the neurosurgeon who came promptly and took him to the OR and 15 or 20 minutes later, he had a burr hole and his hematoma was drained, which sounds like a huge deal, but he was probably back on his motorcycle in a couple of weeks. If I'd have let him get up and go home, he almost certainly would have died that night. I would have died. So that intuition. Oh, yeah. I like to think it was some part of his soul communicating with me in some nonverbal way, telling me, you need to do this. Even though there's not a medical reason to do it, you need to do it. Right. Right. And you listen. That's the most important thing, because what you just said, Jeff, I believe everybody receives. And the choice of whether to honor it or not, to chalk it off, to talk yourself out of it, it's because we don't trust what comes up from that inner depth of us. But before we go to commercial and then come back and talk about where you are now and what you've been doing after you left the medical profession, I want to know what were your original beliefs spiritually just real quick. Ever since I was uh, as young as I can remember, I've always believed that we were eternal beings, that we existed before we came here, that we're here on earth for a purpose, to learn, and that we continue to exist after death in a different realm and in a different form. And when we recognize that about each other, then we finally start to realize who we are and we realize who those around us are and we start to treat them appropriately. You see, that is a belief that came from the internal part of you, not the external ears listening to somebody teach because you trusted it, you knew it, you honored it. That is so great, and and I love that about you. And we're gonna talk about your personality and everything else that gives you some of those abilities and why it comes to you the way it does, because I have some opinion on that myself. So we're gonna return. Thank you for joining us on the Stop Stopping Yourself show. We've got a commercial break. We are with Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, an amazing medium, psychic, intuitive healer, mystic. I can list all the words about this gentleman um, but but come on back and join us right after this commercial break and we're going to dive into the many books and his future take care we'll see you in just a moment thanks for joining us this is unity online radio the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Stop Stopping Yourself with Vincent Jenna. We're back. Thank you for joining us. And if you are just joining us now, I am with special guest, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, 
who was an emergency room doctor who had the most incredible experiences seeing his patients sold or the patients of others that were being worked on, their souls coming to him. And it all started when he was a young lad and unfortunately his 15-year-old brother had died but had come to him to give him some help. So it started very, very young. And um, before we left for the commercial, um, Jeff, I had said that I was going to give some of my, you know, just a little of my opinion, having met you, um, uh, what probably made it so easy for you to accept um, you have it. If you meet this person, I want you to go online. And even if you look at his picture and we're going to tell everybody they go to, um, I believe it is uh, Jeff O'Driscoll.com. Is that correct, Jeff, your website? That is correct. Or they can go to helping Same website. All right. And we're going to repeat that again so that you can connect with Jeff. But you look at the picture of this guy and you'll get to see um, what I mean right now. He's uh, he's taller than me, which is an odd anyway. Most people are. Um, but this guy is big um, and, and strong and burly. Right. But you look at his face and I don't mean to embarrass you, Jeff, at all. You look at his face and what you see is gentleness. You see gentleness, you see compassion, you see love, such a, um, a warm personality, Jeff, was the first impression I got from you. So, so I, I never really saw you as necessarily, I mean, maybe you, you were very energetic when you were young, but I don't get the feeling of you being rebellious in in <laughs> nature, okay? Maybe in your times you had some of that, but you were so accepting and just like you said you just knew that there was an afterlife you knew that 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 there was uh, more that there was some power some force that that personality that goes along with the personality as well just so that you know because it's not a matter of we fight everything like i fought i fought and i didn't get any understanding until i was 28 but i did have a connection with the church and with god and with jesus earlier but not in the way that they were teaching and i was very rebellious um and so i couldn't get even though that helped me in one way it went against me what do you think what do you think about that is i i like i said i see a very gentle compassionate personality and i don't think it took a lot for you to be that way uh it, it was a journey actually um even though i knew spiritually i had a sense of who i was um, after my brother's death, I, my dream growing up, Vincent, was to be a professional bull rider. I used to ride bulls in high school, and uh, I drank whenever I got a chance, and uh, I, I didn't have very many noble aspirations. So ending up where I am as a physician is kind of an odd thing. But I'll tell you one experience I had in the ER that really changed me in, in a profound way. I walked into a room one night in the ER and there was one person in there. It was the patient and he was a disheveled, poorly kept gentleman with long hair and a, and a scraggly beard and tattered uh, soiled clothing. And he had holes in his shoes and holes in his socks uh, and he struggled with uh, addictions. He'd been out walking around in the snow and his feet were in rough shape. And 
I knew what needed to be done. He knew what needed to be done. I'm not even sure we said anything to each other. I just filled a wash basin full of warm water and put some soap in it and grabbed a wash rag. And I sat down at the foot of the gurney and I removed his shoes and the last threads of his socks. And I lowered his feet into that water and I started to wash his feet. And something miraculous happened the veil or whatever it is that clouds our eyes at times was drawn back and I saw who he was. I saw his soul and I was in the presence of the divine. I'd gone into the room thinking I was going to serve him and I walked out realizing that he was there to minister to me. He was the antithesis of everything the world revered as success, and yet he was God, and I saw it. And then I knew who everybody else in the world was, too. Are you still there? Yes, I am here. That gave me chills, man. That just made me silent, and I'd love to see that in a movie. <laughs> That, that That's an inspirational thing right there. The veil and that removal, what I was going to say is your bull riding and your drinking, Jeff, were only your defense mechanisms because you had been hurting. But who you were, to be able to get down on your knees and wash that man's feet, that's who you always were. And that's why it was able to come out and come to the surface. It, you're in a prime example that if Everybody else take the same time, and we are in a condition and position right now to do that, to be able to help somebody. If we just let go of our fears, if we just take that um, one extra giant package of toilet paper that we've hoarded and <laughs> go and drop it off at a neighbor's house who may need some, you are washing your neighbor's feet. That was so beautiful, Jeff. That, uh, just, you, wow. You're, you're absolutely right, Vincent. In fact, you know, I do this mentoring with people, and many times people come to me and they think they've never had a spiritual experience, and they ask me how they can have one. And I give them one simple exercise. Well, I give them a lot of different things, but one thing I often give them is an exercise that, to my knowledge, has never failed one of my clients. I tell them, I say, whatever you do to get centered in the morning, whether it's prayer or meditation, even exercise, whatever it is you do to get ready for your day, ask this one question. What can I do today to serve someone else? And you will have a spiritual experience. You might not recognize it as spiritual at first, but you will have a flash of somebody in your mind. You will have somebody's name come into your head. You might feel inclined to pick up the phone and call them or send them a text or drop a gift at their home, something like that. And if you recognize where that's coming from and you practice it, you grow into it a little bit more the next day and more the next week until you start to trust that voice, that impression, that knowing, and start to follow it and yield to it. It will lead you to your divine nature. It will bring you to your highest, most authentic self, and it's often through service. You just spoke one of the steps in the video that I did Saturday evening about the cure for the coronavirus. 
One must be about servicing yourself the right way and doing something loving for yourself. And then the next step is must do something loving for our neighbor, one neighbor. And if everybody can do that every single day while you're home, we have got the cure, not just for the coronavirus, but everything else that's going on the earth today. Agreed? Yes, we ha- we have so much more power than we often realize. And it's not always in the huge things. For example, I was doing my abbreviated version of the question one morning because sometimes I get impatient and I just, I was getting centered and I said, uh, what do you want me to do today? And the answer came back, be kind. And I thought, oh, come on, you can do better than that. I want something big, you know. Uh, but the, but the, the direction I got was be kind. And here's the challenge. Uh, I was putting all of my kids, I have five kids. My wife and I were putting all the kids in the car to go on a road trip. And the kids were making me crazy in the car. And I kept hearing these two words, be kind, be kind. And I was trying to let it all roll off my back while they were fighting with each other and yelling and stuff. And at the end of the day, I remember writing in my journal and thinking, wouldn't it have been a shame if I'd have put all this effort and time into giving my children a wonderful experience? And the one memory they left with was dad got mad and lost his temper and yelled at us. And I was so grateful for those two simple words, be kind. If we can mm. just do the small things, just the small things. Well, the whole thing is we're unlimited beings and we are divine. The small things aren't small. There is no such right. thing as small in, in, in God's world, the spirit world, right? Tell me about your books, Jeff. How did you come to write them and, and what purpose did you want them to serve? For years, I refused to talk about my experiences. I had all kinds of uh, hesitancies about it. But six months after I stopped seeing patients, I woke up one day and it was like this something clicked inside and it seemed okay to share. And I started to share and I saw how it affected people and it helped them, it healed them, it gave them hope. And six months later, I published my book. It's titled Not Yet. And um, I'm on my way to my first formal speaking engagement in Salem, Massachusetts. I have a stack of books in my bag and I'm sitting in the airport and this young couple come up and sit next to me. They ask me where I'm going, what I'm going to be talking about, the usual airport conversation. And when the young woman learned what I was going to be talking about, she looked at me, her whole countenance changed, and she said, my grandfather just died and he's come to me a couple times. And my first thought was, why are you sharing this profoundly intimate experience with a total stranger? And then I realized, oh, I'm a safe place for her. And she took one of my books and she got caught her plane and I got on my plane. By that time, I'd been an ER doc for 25 years. I estimated I'd seen in excess of 60,000 patients. And on the plane to Boston, a voice spoke to me and said, you will help more people with this book than you've helped as a physician in the emergency department. And that changed my whole feeling about what I'm doing with my life now. Some of my experiences aren't just for me. They're to share. They're they're to help other people. And they can't help other people if I don't share them. 
and now I speak. I have my book out there. I do one-on-one mentoring with people to help them find their own spiritual connection so they can get their own answers. That's what people really want, their own answers. Right. I help right. them they come. I help connection. them. Yeah. Yeah. I help them come to a point where they can trust the answers they get because they know the source. And when people struggle really hard and they, they say, I, I can't tell whether it's me or whether it's the divine or the universe or my own voice. And I help them come to the point where they can realize if it's my own voice, it's still divine. Follow it. Mm, I love that. I love that because people are asking me all the time, how do I know when God is speaking to me? How do I know if Jesus, if Mary, if the angels are speaking with me? I said, "Eh, you know what? It's going to sound like your voice, and it should because it is. It is. And in fact, for for those out there who are Christian— I, I often do a uh, guided visualization with people. I, uh, I take them to a special place, you know, maybe a beach or a mountain, and I help them recognize. I, I, I have them imagine themselves with a ball of light in their hands, uh, this profound, beautiful light of glory and brightness and love, and I have them bring it to their chest until it moves inside of them and fills every cell of their body with this light. And then I tell them, that's who you are. And people are reluctant. They're, they're, they feel it's too big for them. And I, say, I, t- I tell them, especially my Christian clients, I said, Christ said it. Don't listen to me. Listen to him. He told you, you are the light. And not only did he tell you that, but he told you not to be timid about it. He told you to put it on a hill and show the entire world. Right. That's who you are. Don't bury it under a rock. And Marianne Williamson said it really beautifully in her yes, book, Return to did. Love, when she says our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, it's that we are powerful beyond measure. And and wasn't it in the beginning then when you started talking with your brother early on, would you say that there, you said that you didn't share it with everybody? Was it a fear? You Were you afraid of being ostracized or were you afraid of the power? What was, can you identify what that fear was, Jeff, for our listeners? I think it was a combination of things. I think part of it was a concern about how my colleagues would accept me. Part of it was a concern about how patients might feel if they found out. Uh, there was some measure of this is just too sacred to talk about. You should keep this to yourself. And Mm. I think it was a combination of things. And there's still things I don't talk about, but I try to connect with spirit and I try to share the right thing with the right person in the right circumstance. And the only way to know is to be connected enough where I've been told, share this, and the next day with some other somebody else say, no, don't share that. And you have to be connected because everybody's different. Every circumstance is different. People right. come to me frequently. I don't know why this is a common question, Vincent. Maybe you can have shed some insight on this. People ask me frequently, well, what do you do with the homeless? Do you give them money or don't you? And, mm. uh, <laughs> I, and I tell the people, I said, I never feel guilty about it. If I'm told to give, I give. And if I'm told not to, I don't. And I, I do what I'm what I'm prompted to do, and I never feel guilty about it. Right, right. Well, it was actually Jesus that did say, and and even in the psychology field, we do say is don't, don't you decide the help that people need um, if they ask, 
just help them. What they do with it is is up to them. And I know it is really hard because we do know that a lot of the homeless people that come up and some of them have even more wads of money than I do. It's become a profession out there these days. Um, and so you don't know what to do, but it's still not necessarily for you to judge what type of help they need. Um, and you would just hope that they would connect and eventually get their own answers. But like you said, yes, always ask and you'll be told, you'll receive um, a message, right? That I mean, that's such great right, advice. Right, yeah. Some people, some people are helped when you give them money. Others are hurt. You yes, might not exactly. be helping somebody by giving them money, and, and you can't discern that on your own sometimes. I was, in a, I was in a conference once with my friend Mary Neal. Have you ever heard of Mary Neal? Yes. She had a New, she had a New York Times bestseller about her. She, she's a physician, and she was trapped underwater for 30 minutes as, on a kayaking trip and had an out-of-body experience. And somebody asked her in this conference uh, if she ever felt guilty about not being able to do more, and she didn't even hesitate. She looked them right eye to eye, and she said, I never feel guilty. I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. Right. Right. But uh, Judas said to Jesus, with the oil that Mary Magdalene is using on your feet right now, we could sell that and feed the poor. And Jesus looked up to him and said, there will always be the poor, Judas. There will always be the poor. So you can't feel guilty about what's out there because truly I even believe that there is the poor to allow us to help people or to give service to somebody to help God's love be manifest by us helping. So yeah, there will be the poor. Exactly. That's that's one of the things I learned when I washed the feet of that homeless man. He was there ministering to me. He was there to right. teach me. Yes. Right. Uh, right. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We we want to label things. We want to judge them as good and bad and right and wrong. And the problem is, is we're not very good judges. We often label things incorrectly. And what we think is bad is actually there to be our greatest gift. And sometimes we think what's good is actually making us weak. And so we have to be careful, really careful about how we judge and what labels we use, because often we're wrong. That's right, because we're filtering everything anyway through our own hurts and scars and pains. And that's what we have to clear up. Tell everybody about your process. What do you actually do? Like if somebody comes to you, uh, what can you, what do you offer them, Jeff? What's, what's your programs like? When I sit down with somebody, and I do, I do uh, uh, work by phone now too. I used to only do it in person, but now I work by phone or by internet. Um, I sit and visit with them, and I let their soul speak to me. And I start to get inclinations and impressions, and often their own words have the answers in them. And sometimes their deceased loved ones will communicate their answers to me. And what I do is I help people recognize that some of the experiences they've had are indeed spiritual experiences. And they start to own them. I give them the words to change their vocabulary a little bit so that they can realize where it comes from and that it's actually real and that they can trust it going forward. And I give them some exercises that they can do to practice, to learn, to have confidence in it. And I help them trust the intuition or the voice that is theirs already. And sometimes I help them connect with their loved ones uh, 
so that they can, as I told you earlier, get their own answers. Sometimes I give them a writing assignment. Um, people have had some profound spiritual experiences. They've never written them down, and they think they understand them when they're swirling in their head. And when you're forced to put it on a page, you have to use words. It can't just be feelings. It has to be words. And when people start to use the words and they see it on the page, they kind of go, oh, that was real. That happened to me when I was writing one of the chapters in my book. It talks about this profound out-of-body experience I had. And I, 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 it had been 20 years, but when I wrote it, that chapter, I was forced to use a word, and the only word I could come up with was a vision. And when I saw the word on the page, I thought, oh, I had a vision. That was a vision. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, wow. And that was the first time I'd owned it as such. And it changed the way I thought about it. it. It helped me to process it and to communicate it. We seem to do very similar work, Jeff, um, which is probably the reason why there was a connection as soon as we met. I mean, that's amazing. I do very much what you were just saying. So I want to make sure we get this in there. How do people connect with you then? I mean, obviously, they can go to your website. Um, I want you to give that again. Tell them what they can do. They can go to my website, helpingsoulsheal.com, or just use my name, jeffodriscoll.com. There's a page on there about uh, uh, spiritual mentoring. There's a thing they can fill out and send to me if they want to make an appointment, they can. Um, My books are on there. If you're outside the country, you're better off to order my books from Amazon because I don't do international shipping from my website. But you can get my books on on my website. There's a children's there's children's books there. I have a novel that I wrote that's on there, which is about a person on a very spiritual journey, actually, but it's fictional. And then my book, Not Yet, is on there as well. And when people reach out to me through my website, I get back to them and we set up a, an appointment and have a meeting, usually in person, but sometimes by phone or Skype or other means. And yes. I work with all kinds of people. Well, especially now, it's going to be more remotely than in person, and that does work because that's what I've been doing. And you've also been traveling all over the world, so so share some of that and what's coming up for you. I know that there's been a lot of now probably uh, delays and um, you know cancellations of appearances and stuff like that, but you still have been – you just got back from some wonderful places too, haven't you? Well, I, uh, a friend of mine who that Jeff Olson I talked about earlier, he and I hosted a cruise in January, a 10-day Healing Tides cruise, and we had about 60 attendees that really had a good experience. A lot of healing took place on that cruise. Uh, in uh, this month, we were going to be speaking in London and Ireland, and we had to uh, postpone those and reschedule them. Next month, I was going to be speaking to a group of 600 uh at the Helping Parents Heal Conference in South Carolina, but that's been rescheduled right. as well. Um, oh, so a lot of yeah. a, a lot of things. But you know what? I, I, I did I did a podcast uh, with somebody yesterday. I did a Facebook Live. I'm, I'm on the radio with you today. I'm recording another podcast tomorrow. So uh, we work. We use technology, and we try to keep keep it out there. 
We have to keep it out there because they need it more now than ever, Jeff. This has uh, been an incredible interview, and I so appreciate, again, you sharing all of this information. And here's the wonderful thing that everybody needs to listen to. So I just finished saying that that Jeff and I do some of the similar work, and yet I'll support him, and I care about him being out there and getting out there as much as possible. I have him on my radio show, advertise him, promote him, do anything, because it, it isn't about doing your own thing by yourself and and making sure um, that it's only you. This isn't about ego. This is about helping and supporting each other doing help work. I mean, don't you feel the same way, Jeff? I absolutely do. In fact, my personal mission statement is I exist to help souls heal. That's the only reason I'm here is to help other people heal. Um, mm. For a long time, I thought I was helping myself. In fact, a messenger came to me one day and said, every experience is to enable you to help someone else. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I thought experiences were to uh, for personal growth, and then I could help others. And the messenger said, the primary purpose of every experience is to enable you to help somebody else. You get the secondary benefit of personal growth. Wow. Well, I certainly like that. That's for sure. And so anybody, you can connect again with Dr. Jeff. And uh, I, I would advise experiencing him. I want to thank you all. Jeff, again, thank you so much. We've come to the end of the hour. I look forward to working with you sometime in the future. Um, once we can get together again and it's safe out there. Um, so, yes, you help keep empowering people, Jeff, and doing the work that you're doing. It's amazing, and it's divine, and it's sacred, and you're touching souls. And to the souls out there that are listening, this is the Stop Stopping Yourself show. I'm your host, Vincent Jenna. There are many wonderful hosts coming up today. Reverend Temple Hayes, Dr. Dream, Kelly Sullivan Walden. So stay tuned. Keep going. Keep that immune system up by growing spiritually. Take that spiritual path. I love you all. Jeff, I love you, man. Big hugs, virtual hugs, buddy. And we'll talk again. And everybody have a blessed and safe week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.